rewilded cheetahs while we're over there at a fantastic wow. organization called Running Wild. So took them on cheetah hunts because they learn that behavior off their mother. So mm. and they don't have their mother anymore and they're in captivity. So this place had a fantastic 11, 12 sort of step criteria to fill out before they could reintroduce them mm. into some protected area. One of them was they need to demonstrate really good hunting capabilities. So they learned that behavior off their mum traditionally. Things like staying away from giraffes that could kill a cheetah in one shot or stay away from rhinos. Mm. So, you know, we go out with a cheetah on a harness, deter them from a giraffe which is easier said than done, <laughs> and then sort of setting their sights on something more accessible to take down. Have you ever wondered how a kangaroo can live in a tree? What about crocodiles and how they can stay underwater for hours at a time and not be seen? Maybe what keeps you up at night is your thoughts of how box jellyfish can be the most venomous animal in the whole world towards humans. Or is it your curiosity of what really goes on inside that caterpillar cocoon for a magnificent, stunning butterfly to emerge? Well, don't worry, as I have all your questions answered and much, much more with our following Wild Chats, I am going to bring you the most amazing guests. Hey everyone, my name is Jodie Creek and I'm a wildlife educator and huge advocate for Australian animals. And of course, the habitats and ecosystems as well. But what I'm truly passionate about is bringing you information that you need to connect with the natural world. So someone once said to me that I may not be able to change the world, but I can change the world around me. So let's hope that we can inspire you to make change at home. And therefore, together, we do actually change the world. So get that cup of tea ready and enjoy the following Wild Chats. All right. Hello, Alex. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? Good, good. So, Alex, um, now I'm going to try and pronounce your last name properly. Yeah. Yotzi. Alex Yotzi. Perfect. Said like a real Italian. That's yes. <laughs> I just need a little bit more accent. So good to have you on here. So, you are a wildlife demonstrator and content creator. That's it. Looking forward to hearing more about that. Yeah, yeah. Um got a lot of videos on Instagram at the moment, just uh, <laughs> started off as a little drunk joke, but uh, <laughs> I got to thinking about it and I was like, this is actually a really good idea. Um, who would win in a fight between two really tough animals? Um, <laughs> it's what we used to talk about in primary school and uh, yeah. mm-hmm. I just never really stopped talking about it. So, I thought maybe some other people would like to hear about it. Absolutely. I tell you what, it's one of the most common questions I get asked by yeah. kids is who would win? Who would win between a shark and a crocodile? Yeah. Or who would win between a blue tongue lizard or a bearded dragon? Yeah. It is the most common question. So it's really interesting that we're, we're talking about this today. Yeah. Well, like I said, that's, I think that's pretty much what got me into this industry. Just, uh, you know, fun little matchups and yeah. Yeah. Why not? Talk about it yeah. in a real professional and scientific way. <laughs> Absolutely. Excellent. Well, I'll tell you what, I've only just met you as well and I'm so um, happy that you reached out to come on our wild chat. So, thank you so much for reaching out. And I know that um, a lot of people are probably wondering where have you come from, what do you do? So, please share a little bit about yourself. Where, so, obviously, with me trying to pronounce your last name, you yeah. are Italian. I am, yeah, Italian-Australian, third generation. Yeah. 
Uh, nice. I was really, really happy when Italy won the Euros. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my whole family was covered in, you know, Italian wall paint, uh, which is very funny. Love it. Um, but yeah, so we're down in Melbourne, Australia. Always had a passion for wildlife growing up. I think it started with dinosaurs maybe. And then, you know, what's the closest thing to living dinosaurs? Well, you know, reptiles. So I started uh, with herpetology as, you know, a real interest in wildlife. And then after high school, went to university, um, studied wildlife conservation, biosciences, and I thought I would be really specifically interested in reptiles going in. But then coming out, I kind of liked everything uh, from birds to mammals. Specifically, I like everything that's got big teeth. So, you know, all those big predators and carnivores, that's where uh, my interest lies right now. I'm currently a wildlife demonstrator and tour guide at Sea Life Melbourne Aquarium. I've uh, been there for about two years after my degree and, uh, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean that's about it? That's a lot. That's <laughs> awesome. So, um, Sea Life Aquarium, so did you did you want to be working with uh, aquarium species or is that something that you just landed the job in because you were just looking for any kind of wildlife job? Because, I mean, uh, wildlife jobs are, are few and far between. Yeah. So everyone wants to work with animals. Yeah. Um, so I guess we can't be too picky when we're when we're just starting out. But yeah, tell us a little bit about why you chose that. Yeah. Um, well, it's like you said, uh, supply and demand is a bit out of whack in this industry. Um, so I really wanted to try hard to get a job that didn't take me away from Melbourne. Um, and there's only you know a handful of zoos and an aquarium. I happened to get the aquarium job. <sighs> I reckon two weeks after I graduated, so I was very, very lucky. Um, and yeah, smack bang in the CBD, so it was just very convenient. Twenty minutes to get to work on the train, um, and yeah, look, I, I was the same. I was like, oh, you know, I'm not crazy about fish, but they do have a lot of cool stuff other than fish. Um, there's a really, really big penguin colony there of king and gentoo penguins. I work a lot with them. Um, it's actually the most successful sub-Antarctic penguin breeding program anywhere in the world. And then oh. after like the first month of working there, I discovered that they have really awesome endangered species breeding programs there. So, there's a large-tooth sawfish program, uh, spear-tooth sharks, which it's the only place in the world you can see spear-tooths uh, anywhere. So, they're crazy, crazy rare and they're really cool creatures. What else do we have that's endangered handfish only place in the world you can see a handfish uh really successful what, yeah what is a handfish what is a handfish i'm um, just imagining you know what obviously everyone right now is probably imagining yeah yeah <laughs> sorry i should hand. uh i should describe it it's um look they're not big at all i'd say they're just under 10 centimeters in length about mm. four to five centimeters in height and they kind of resemble a mud skipper um if you don't know what a mud skipper is Imagine like a tadpole that has small pectoral fins and they use them to drag themselves across the mud. So, a handfish has those pectoral fins, arguably a little bit more developed because they look like hands, hence their name, and uh, they walk across the sand, which is really, really cool. And uh, they're incredibly endangered. We work pretty closely with the University of Tassie who have a really good study program on the red handfish and we have at work the spotted handfish only difference just visually is the color um but 
breeding wise, it's pretty similar. So hopefully very, very soon um, we can announce that we have some really uh, fertile eggs at Melbourne yeah. and we'll be the first oh, ever wow. to breed them. Yeah. Yeah, cool. And why why are they so important? But for one, how do they, like what's the um, reason why they're so endangered, but why are they so important? They like to nest their eggs around sea squirts and oh. with just a mix of, you know, um, catastrophes facing nature right now, climate change, pollution, ocean acidification, uh, it has led to the demise of these sea squirts. So, mm. When your area to nest or to lay eggs goes down, um, obviously it's a chain reaction. The animal that lays their eggs there will also go down. So um, we've come up with a really funky looking way to get them to lay eggs. We just have these plastic mock sea squirts <laughs> in their enclosure and that's a substitute for real sea squirts so they can lay their eggs over there. And, um, yeah, hopefully very soon we've got some fertile eggs. Um, That's cool. What was the second part of your question? I oh, I, I was just wondering what I always like to know, like, uh, and I know not everything has a very uh, common kind of um, place. Uh, what, what, what's, what's so important for them? Oh, like, yeah. you know, sometimes, sometimes we don't see it clearly, uh, especially for these little fellas. But, um, yeah, why, why are handfish so important? Yeah. Um, look, I'm going to be honest, I, I don't really know specifically why, <laughs> um, you know, having these animals. Yeah. Well, um, look, number one, they look cool. So, it'd be a shame to lose <laughs> something that looks really, really cool and is native to our country. But number two, I'd have to go down to the, uh, like the loose airplane metaphor. You lose one screw, each screw mm -hmm. is a species. How many screws need to go before the plane falls out of the sky? So, you know, just because we don't see a reason why to keep them, ecologically speaking, um, doesn't mean that they could have some drastic effects when they are yeah. classified as extinct. So, I'd rather not get to that point. You know, I'd rather mm -hmm. not find out later on when they're gone. Yeah. Uh, is Melbourne Aquarium, Sea Life Aquarium, um, planning on releasing any into the wild? Like, is that allowed or is it just a breeding program to understand more of the species and how can this then relate to um, the current species left out, out there and how can they help or what's the big project there? Um, I can't really speak on releasing them as of yet because, um, you know, oh. it's not my pay grade. That's way above me. But, look, first things first is to establish an insurance population mm, and yeah. find out really thoroughly how they breed and, you know, the most efficient way to keep them so they can maximise um, egg laying abilities and then we can go to, you know, we can cross that bridge and start setting up some populations. There is a really good um, white seahorse uh, breeding project over in Sydney in between us right now um, with our sister aquarium, Sydney Sea Life. They've made these, well, they've figured out how to breed these really, really endangered seahorses and then they started introducing them to the harbour. They have these little seahorse hotels which are just like for like cage boxes I guess but you put them in the in the water and then after a significant amount of time they start acting as a shipwreck and you know there's a lot of seaweed that comes onto it and a lot of other mm -hmm. fauna that will actually go into it as well and then when it's at to that point we release the seahorses and they use those hotels as a refuge so you know we've released heaps of animals across the sea life brand 
uh, everything from seahorses to beluga whales. So, yeah. Wow. Hopefully, we get there for the handfish, but right now, we just need to figure out uh, the best way to breed them. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you and I off air before before we got on, we we um, briefly talked a, a little bit about the importance of zoos and aquariums, or we went to go and have that discussion, and right there, then, yeah, right here, we can we can see the importance of zoos and aquariums to be able to have that. Um, you know, one, the research and the study and the understanding on how you could possibly help it out into the wild. But then it's also building up a um, a, a secure population that that we may need to reach for eventually. So, and that's happening all the way around the world. So that's really cool. Yeah, um, for sure. But also, one of the big things is definitely, and as you said, you're a, a wildlife demonstrator, um, educator, teacher, whatever you want to call yourself. Oh, <laughs> good. But it's all the same, right? Yeah. Um, and so, education is massive in when it comes down to zoos and aquariums. So, did you always want to work in zoos or aquariums? Like, what, what's your what's your major goal? I mean, you went, you studied wildlife conservation and biology and stuff mm. like that. What what is it that really is your passion and your inspiration to, well, for one, to study and then go on to do what? What what is it? Yeah. So, um, look, I'd be lying if I said I really wanted to be in a zoo at the start because I just didn't know. I knew I wanted to work with animals 100% whether that was as a park ranger or as a you know wildlife demonstrator at a zoo and aquarium um yeah I, I didn't really think that far ahead I just had small goals so um I, I knew I wanted to interact with zoos a lot and I as a year nine to year 12 student I volunteered at Melbourne Zoo with the youth program there started that up actually I was in the pilot um, pilot project. So I was always weaving in and out and crossing that with with my schooling. Um, but yeah, you know, who knows? Never say never. Um, I don't know what I'll mm. do five in the line. Uh, I'd like to come up to northern Queensland, explore the rainforest up there, and you know, hop the Scotch over to Northern Territory. So I still got a lot of travelling to do. Um, yep. University really helped me out because. Especially in the third year, I think we only spent maybe a month on campus. All my other subjects took me across the country. So, I was working in every single ecosystem that our beautiful Australia has to offer, everything from Heron Island on the Great Barrier Reef to Wilson's mm. Prom down south in rainforest down there to the deserts, to the Alps. So, it was really cool uh, exploring all those different ecosystems and the different ways that you work there. Melbourne Aquarium or Melbourne Zoo, just super convenient for me at the moment, especially during COVID. I mean, I was very lucky to secure that job before then because I don't know what mm. I'd about it, to be honest. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah for sure. Mm. And Australia is amazing. I mean, we've got so many different types of habitats um, to be able to explore. And uh, I, I love the north. I'm in North Queensland. And We've got the tropical rainforest, we've got the Great Barrier Reef, we've got estuaries, we've got mangroves, yeah. we've got the savannah area not far from here. It's just absolutely beautiful. Um, and that's what I love about this particular area because uh, I've been here for 21 years and still <laughs> I haven't even seen half of it. Yeah, you're probably um, in the most diverse part of our country, to be honest. Mm. Uh, so I'm kicking myself that I haven't been there yet. But look, seeing a cassowary 
in the flesh in the wild, that's uh, definitely on the top of my list. <laughs> well, we, we definitely know where you can find one of them. Awesome, so, yeah, awesome. definitely hit us up yeah, when you come me up, up. <laughs> in North Queensland. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so in regards to your YouTube channel and I, and, and I was going through your Instagram, yeah. you do have the uh, videos or the, the content there of who would win. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about that, creating that. Mm. Um, what are you finding from people and uh, the, the, the feedback from people and is it and then what's the intention of, I, I have to warn you, I asked deep questions. No, so that's what's okay. the intention of this for you but also for you being a wildlife demonstrator anyway? Yes. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, I said before, that simple question, <laughs> who would win in a fight, <laughs> you know, stemmed and uh, got me interested in wildlife from a very early age. I know that all my other classmates were interested in that stuff as well back then, you know, when we were five or six years old. And they're not in my industry right now. You know, they're business people, they're tradies or whatever. So, they're not really interested in that stuff right now. But I found that, you know, making this little fun series of who would win in a fight, I find a lot of people reaching out to me that don't work in our industry that are still very interested. They're giving me suggestions. Um you know, they're challenging me. They're like, no, nah, a shark would win over a crocodile. Um, <laughs> so, it's really good to see that interaction because if they can care about these awesome predators that are so impressive, then that gives them a reason to care about wildlife in general because end of the day, it all affects one. It, they all affect one another, every member, whether it's a flower, whether it's a tree, whether it's a, you know, a sloth doesn't matter they all need each other to survive so i find that if they can care about one species hopefully that species can act as an ambassador and uh, give them a reason to care about you know why paper straws are better than plastic straws um why to dispose your fishing line better than you usually would so you know it's all for wildlife conservation but also it's i like doing it and i find that people you know, rather enjoy it. So, um, <laughs> the next thing what? that we got up is a chicken versus a duck. So, that was, uh, <laughs> that's a very, Ooh. yeah. I, I thought it was a joke at first. And then, you know, I was that, you know, just up at night and just like, who would actually win? So, uh, yeah, stay tuned for that one. <laughs> Do you actually go on to then research to find out who would win oh yeah absolutely yeah yeah there's a lot of work that goes involved <laughs> yeah that's what i was thinking yeah, it's, yeah. it's because you can't just throw it out there and then be like okay next one yeah so then going on to educate everyone further about okay possibly this could win over like a chicken or a duck okay straight away my mind goes well it depends is the chicken protecting the babies or is it sitting on eggs and then what is the duck doing is the duck just walking that's past it. like that's how my mind yeah. works by Are the they way having a bad day Crazy. you don't know you don't yeah. know um <laughs> so then yeah. it's like what are we what 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 do you include in regards to let's just go with the chicken and the duck for a second mm. and it's like how do you gather this information is it the size is it the adaptation is it then or their particular role in the environment and then how do you go on to educate everyone about that yeah so usually um look it, this one's a weird one chicken and a duck because it's the first <laughs> domesticated yeah. face-off 
I guess you could say. But originally, I laid out all the pros and cons, you know, um, how big are their teeth, what do they do when they take down prey, how do they defend themselves from predators. So, that's my usual go-to, outline their weapons and their defenses. But with a chicken versus a duck, uh, I started with that because they are packing some some heat, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're not defenseless. If you back a chicken in the corner, you'll see the beast come out for sure. Um, but I'm also... What I'm really interested with this matchup is where they originated from, their common ancestors, their wild variants, if you will. So, chickens came from jungle fowl. I don't know if you've seen them. Pretty scary looking. Um, Ducks, wild ducks are a little bit more tame, but still, I remember getting chased as a kid by ducks, so they can be pretty scary too. Um, (laughs) So, it's going to be a fun matchup with that. So, yeah, I lay out all the pros and cons, their weapons, their defenses, their advantages, their disadvantages, uh, whether they can fly or not is going to mm. be a, definitely an important point for this matchup. A very quick announcement to make, but I'm so excited. Our home education virtual portal is up and running and you can visit that at www.australianwildlifeeducation.com and if you are a parent or you know other parents who have children ages 4 to 12, this one is specifically for them and they get to learn more about Australian wildlife. Are you finding that this particular way is sparking an emotion and feeling in people, which then creates that further curiosity and inquiry to then go on and find out more information. Because you, you're sparking a curiosity to start off with. Mm. They're going, oh, I don't know. Oh, I reckon this. And then their own opinion and thoughts come in to where they're at at that particular time and knowledge and everything else mm. or opinion. And then you then they go on to then find out that further information, which then sparks that feeling. It, 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 sparks, it, it sparks an emotion, yeah. which then they will, like straight away, I can't stop thinking about the chicken and the duck. So, you're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're creating something different in the way that you're educating, but you're still sparking that feeling and the emotion in someone, which I truly believe, my opinion, is um, that's where change is created. Yeah. Because people aren't going to just stop using plastic straws if they don't quite understand the why how does that how does that even like how's this going to affect me yeah you know blah blah all that kind of stuff I mean I'm a mum of three and if I if if I need to use plastic for any particular reason I will use it to get through my day yeah so but then what what education have I armed myself with to then go on and do something with that plastic or, or so forth you know so it's got there's got to be something in it for the other person as well yeah um so what what's your opinion on what you're sparking in people? What's what's happening there, do you think? Yeah, look, um as I said, I think it's stemming from that little childhood curiosity. Um and I really don't mind if people disagree with me, you know, on a potential matchup. Um cool. as long as like as long as they're watching it and you know, they're seeing how cool these two species of animals really are, then my job's done. Um, mm. So, honestly, I don't care if, if they disagree with me. Um, tell me why, you know, let me know why. Mm. It's just my, you know, scientific perspective on theoretically who would win. Um, but, yeah, as long as people are watching, that's it. My job's done. As long as one person learns a new fact about a kangaroo, all good. 
all good by me. Um, yeah, cool. And yeah, I think it really is stemming from that childhood curiosity, which, you know, in my generation now, um, nostalgia is a big thing, whether it's, you know, playing childhood video games or reading a book that you used to like. Um, I think, yeah, capitalizing on that nostalgia is not a bad thing either. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Prior to getting you on here, mm. I asked you, and, and I think this this can all sort of come together here, um, I asked you what you really wanted the world to know and, you know, you've spoken about that, um, you know, you're a big fan of everything with big teeth and, yeah. and top predators. And then you've gone on to talk about Australia's top predators. A lot of them are invasive species. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's a topic I'm very passionate about. Australia has, you know, and it's up for argument with the dingo. In my opinion, they are, you know, they've been here for a long time, so they are naturalized. Um, but for the most part, Australia does not have any top-tier predators that are native. Um, our predators right now kind of... Le- we're talking about land, right? Oh, yeah, sorry, land predators. Sorry, <laughs> we got plenty of sharks and orcas and seals and stuff. Yes, we do, sorry. Yeah, and I'm thinking of the big estuarian crocodile yeah, here yeah, in, in Australia. Absolutely. So, so when you're talking about large, yeah. are we talking like lion-type kind of yeah. predators? Well, or- yeah, if you compare us to the continent of Africa, that literally is the land of giants. Um, but for us in Australia, the biggest land-based mammal predators is I think it's the tiger quoll mm-hmm. and mm. they can take down baby kangaroos if they're lucky but for the most part they're you know munching on insects reptiles and maybe a few birds um, yep. so then when we're faced with some invasive species like feral dogs feral cats foxes they really tear up everything because Australia, Australian wildlife has not adapted against it. There's been no evolutionary arms race to better themselves against something like a feral dog. So, um, you know, someone loses a dog and it just runs rampant in the wild, they're going to be, you know, very fat by the end of it, just eating everything with a pulse. Sometimes feral dogs actually don't even eat what they kill. So, it's just... They just kill, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, because of that, our wildlife, our native wildlife has suffered and uh, I know people love dogs and cats. I love dogs and cats. They're great animals but uh, not all of them are cute and cuddly and some of them are doing a lot of damage. Mm. Yeah. So, what's your opinion then on people um, having dogs and cats as pets? Yeah, look, nothing wrong with it. Um, I'd be a hypocrite if I said there was because i got a dog downstairs right now. <laughs> but it's just it goes back to responsible pet ownership. Yeah. If you're the type of person to get a dog, keep it as a puppy and then it's too big or it's too annoying and you just you know leave it on the side of the street, that's what's wrong. Um, same with cats as well. There's over 12, estimated over 12 million cats that are feral in Australia, which is – just under Whoa. half of our human population, which is insane. And cats, look, we domesticated these animals for a reason. They were really cool and they um, helped us out a lot, especially dogs. But cats, even more so. Um, there's a lot of different wild cats out there, everything from cheetahs to mm. caracals. Um, 
and they're all really awesome predators. It's like uh, that metaphor with the perfect tool. We got a hammer. You can't change a hammer. You can put it in different sizes. You can do it, uh, you know, out of different materials, but it still does the same job. And that's what cats are. You can find them in all different shapes and sizes, um, everything from the tiger to a lynx. Now, because they're just so well adapted to being a top-tier predator, bring them over here and, <laughs> yeah, everything uh, is preyed towards them, even mm. you know, frogs, lizards to birds. Yeah, I mean, in the outback, you've got um, the big issue with the bilby. Uh, cat, cats were the biggest problem in regards to yep. or one, one of the problems. There's a few, but um, as one of those major pests. I, I did, I, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but I watched a documentary not long ago in regards to when cat, like so many cats are caught because there's people out there trying to get rid of and trap um crazy cats mm. that, that are out affecting our wildlife uh, not not just in suburbia I'm, I'm talking like out in the wild out out back in rainforest in all sorts of um, different types of habitats but there was a huge amount of um, caught at, cats caught every single night yeah but then when they actually do open them up to see because they they need this research to see what it is that they're actually talking about mm. uh, sorry what they're what they're eating yeah. Um, there was a huge amount of little little domesticated like antichinus and dunarts and mm. um, parts of other you know mammals that are, that are found. Yeah. Um, do you do you know how many domestic like that's twelve million cats is a a lot. Yeah. That's, that's a lot. That is. How a many lot. do you know? How many are caught with that research? Have you seen that? I don't know. I'd love to partake in. I have to find some. You know, some yeah. studies like that. Um. And personally, I'd like to, you know, help out with, you know, seizing them, eradicating them because I know it's a tough subject. Um, mm, it is, yeah. But it's it's take out a few cats or take out the health and well-being of our native ecosystems. And, you know, I know it's a big ethical dilemma, but, yeah, we got some mm. of the rarest species in the world down here in Australia and I think we got more endangered species than anyone else in the world yep. as well. So, we need to take drastic actions to help preserve these really cool species because I want to take mm -hmm. my kids out and see a quoll one day. I want to take them out to see or catch some dunnarts, some fat-tailed dunnarts. Um, <laughs> They're yeah, so cute. They are. They're awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they really are. Um, and so then, I mean, we, we've got We've got wild pigs. Yeah, we've got foxes. We've got your rabbits, yeah. camels, cane toads. Rats. There's so many species. But as our as the years go on, um, this is the thing: is that um, science, <laughs> and this is a controversial thing at the moment mm. in regards to should science be able to be questioned? Science should should always be yeah. able to be questioned. That's in science. In my personal opinion, yeah. that is science. Yeah. If you can't question science, then uh, technically something is completely just what well, it's done. It's like uh, yeah, uh, it's such a hard one because things change. Like the let's say the cane toad. Yeah. The cane toad was brought over because scientists believed that it was going to help blah, blah, um, blah, mm. <laughs> with the with that little beetle, yeah. Um, and then once it got here, and then bred up and released, the thing is, is a lot of 
uh, background information or background study isn't done at times. And that one, the cane toad was one of them with the yeah. beetle. I mean, straight away we can now look at it and go, hang on a minute, but the beetle has certain hooks and it climbs and or it burrows under the ground. Mm. And so how is the cane toad meant to find that particular beetle? Um, so instead of sort of questioning things before you even bring that particular species into Australia, thinking that it's going to um, help, yeah, it it it, um, it can actually happen with our native species as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and so again, it's it's more of the the question of the science and the um, the why. Are we doing certain things mm. before we actually do it and constantly questioning things all the way? Like as our world changes, we need to re-question everything again. Yeah. Um, so in regards to the native, for example, with the, the koalas, putting koalas um, over onto Magnetic Island, mm. for example, um, totally just destroyed all those particular uh, eucalyptus leaves for such a long time. Um, now things are stabilizing. However, the trees suffered and the koalas suffered because we introduced a species into a particular spot um, that that isn't or wasn't there for either a very, very, very long time or was never there. Yeah. Um, but thinking, oh, hey, let's do this. Um, I'm not sure my point in my ramble here. I can't even remember now. <laughs> I agree but- to all of it, though. <laughs> But it, we we should always, you know, be be questioning, um, yeah. questioning it. I mean, back in the oh, yeah, it was great to have a dog or a cat as a pet. But is that okay now in twenty twenty one? Yeah, um, and and how do we deal with the current problem? Um, because, like you said, we do actually have Australia has the highest. We actually we have the highest mammal extinction rate in the whole world. That's it, and that's yeah. scary. It is. That's scary. It is. Um, um, and because our land is yeah. so unique compared to everywhere around the world, um, yeah, when we bring these, you know, formal top-tier predators over, they just run rampant. Um, even hogs, hogs, boars, um, they tear up everything and we've got nothing that can take out a boar. Um, there's some, mm. you know, myths and legends around around rural Victoria that there's a single black panther running around. Even if that's true, <laughs> it's not enough, you know. <laughs> he can't um, eat enough pigs, yeah. No, that's it. Um, kind of uh, we're facing a, a big, big problem here. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, yeah, something needs to be done about it. So yeah. because we don't have those large predators to be able to take down a lot of those particular what we see as invasive pest species here in Australia. Yeah. It then comes to human interaction. We, yeah. We yeah, we we have to step in and fix for sure. The problem. For sure. Like one one boar turns out uh immense almost improm- uh, incomprehensible amount of topsoil and they eat anything and everything, whether it's eggs, whether it's roots, they'll tear up everything and that unfortunately is the underlying level of the ecosystem. So once that goes, everything else is going to fall apart. We have a big problem with pigs up here in our rainforest. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and who are you going to back in a fight between a boar and a cassowary? I'd choose the boar. You know. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, human interaction is is needed a lot of the time. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, hunters are you know condemned socially because they're taking out. 
something that looks really cute and, mm. and cuddly but it actually has really drastic effects. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, boar takes food away from the cassowary. That's it. So so then the cassowary is left and, and the boars are, well, their noise alone is pretty scary. Yeah. But then, uh, yeah, their, their way of being and then the destruction. But they're also like in, in usually a bit of a family group, is it? Or is it is it just the female with um, the babies or with, the, with others or is it the male as well yeah. with the females? And- I'm pretty sure and I could be talking, you know, absolute uh, silliness here, but I'm pretty sure it's very similar to um, to buffalo. So usually the males will just be filled with testosterone and they'll be excommunicated pretty much from their little family group. Um, and then the females will just be protecting the young if they do have young. So they're always angry because they're protecting their young, you know, they're on the defensive. And then males oh, are always, do. yeah, that's it, you know, rightfully so. But then the males are always angry as well because they're just pumped full of testosterone, ready to take out anything that maybe wants to, um, you know, share some of their food. So they're incredible, incredible animals. Don't get me wrong. They're really cool. But, uh, yeah, they are doing a lot yeah. of uh, They are cool. Yeah. Same with foxes, same with um, dogs and cats and and all those kind of species. And look, I, I actually really love the cane toad. Mm. Uh, the cane toad is a really, really cool animal. Absolutely. Um, and it is, like what you said before, it is difficult that people who come in and have to remove those particular species from our habitats mm. our, uh, from, from Australia would be great, um, are, are sometimes seen as the bad the, guy. Yeah. 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 But, we're, but, but yet the intention is, is to save the current native species and the habitats and everything else and to keep it all sort of stable. Um, but it's a big job. I've, we've, we've got friends up here who have created their entire business and their entire job around actually removing pest species. Yeah. And and they, they, they just can't they can't keep up. Yeah. Well, it's a big job for sure. Yeah. Um, a lot of people don't realize that wildlife professionals work pretty closely with uh, with professional hunters, especially park management um, services. They work and enlist hunters to help take out some yeah, some pigs or some feral dogs that are um, dominating a certain area. Um, I think there's a bit of a misconception with a hunt and then like a trophy hunt. Uh, uh, yep. So mm-hmm. they might yes. think, you know, because you're taking down a, I don't know, a wild buffalo that you're just, you know, ending their life and and that's it when really they're kind of saving the ecosystem whilst also providing food for a, you know, huge amount of people. Some of those animals can get to like three tonnes. Um, Hmm. or one family if if you're talking about me um so yeah look they provide a really good service and uh there's a massive difference between trophy hunting and then a professional hunt to help uh help save some wildlife um yeah for sure yeah yeah wow so what's next for you um you were mentioning that, I mean, you don't have to reveal, obviously, because you're working on it, but you really want to, you know, get more into that wildlife content creation. And I love the way that you've segued into it in regards to 
which is which is going to win. Yeah. Um, because it does true. I truly believe that it does create that curiosity, the questions within people, and then the feelings and emotion in the end. Mm. Um, and they've learnt something new. And so, with with everyone, can they? Where can they find you? currently yeah so i'm on instagram at the moment uh started about a year ago now over our first lockdown here in australia mm-hmm. um i was trapped indoors and i was like what can i do to pass the time so i started an insta account um you can follow at alex apex and yeah as i said i make a lot of content at the moment uh it's been kind of a busy time of year so i'm keen to get back into it um yeah yeah i've got a few things coming up i don't know what i'm allowed to because it's not all by myself um so Mm. yeah a couple things i'm not sure if i can space yeah follow you on instagram look so you have youtube channel no i don't have a youtube Uh, i've been i mentioned youtube but why did i mention that i think because you said videos so i just automatically uh, look maybe down the line a youtube video you know sounds pretty cool but i do i think i can say that i really like the uh the podcast arena i think it's really mm. cool so yeah maybe watch the podcast space yeah. i think i can reveal yeah. that yeah today's wednesday yeah yeah hopefully <laughs> maybe by next week we'll see yeah 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 that's cool well i'll be i'll be keeping a, a keen eye on your instagram to see what you're up to i love meeting like-minded people because we need more and more of it um, absolutely spread out everywhere doing doing similar things um you know there's there's a space for everyone and if we're, we're we've all got the same um intentions there yeah um I, and those who do have the same intentions we all get together and we we create like a big family yeah pretty much yeah we need yeah. to work together for sure i think communication as well especially in science is very very important whether it's about you know clarifying hunting or you know some of the more controversial topics like flat earthers or something like that i think (laughs) scientific communication is definitely very important because you know not everyone went to school to study science some people don't really care about it but i think yeah as a group as a community we do really need to try our best to help clarify some certain complex yeah, issues. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So mm. I think it's really important. And uh, yeah, like your podcast suggests, a lot of people also share that belief. Um, yeah. 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 And that's it. And um, look, to be honest, this, uh, me creating this podcast were, was by accident. Um, <laughs> yeah. <I was, laughs> it was a fantastic accident. Yeah. And, and, so I've been working in the wildlife industry for 21 years mm. and 14 years my own wildlife demonstration business where I go to schools and I do educational talks. Yep. Um, my main aim of starting zoo to you was to get into the schools. So I'm a, I'm a wildlife biologist but also uh, a teacher. Mm. And what I found was the biggest gap was the right information teaching our children so then because they're the next generation so for me it was also about the content and understanding the roles that each particular living thing plays Mm. but I also have a keen curiosity interest I was one of those I was one of those children that uh you know I'd be at a party a, a, a kid's party and I wouldn't be the one wanting to play you know, pin the tail on the donkey. I'd be literally in someone's garden looking at the flowers <laughs> and the bees and, oh, look at that lizard. And, you know, I was like, 
I was considered the really weird kid. Oh, that's just Jodie. She's a weird one. Just leave her in the garden. (laughs) I I was that kid too. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Which I absolutely love. But my curiosity is so insatiable that sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night with questions and I'm just like, (gasps) so um, Mm. with that, during COVID, I felt stuck. I felt restricted and I couldn't go out and talk to kids and I couldn't, I wasn't doing the work that I really loved doing and keeping myself busy as well. I just opened up a Facebook group and we, I just did live, my, my wildlife shows in there, just live, just chatting with kids and families and with that, I started to invite people in to talk with me to the kids mm. and the families. And then someone goes, well, you should, you should make this into a podcast. And I was like, nah, nah that's, nah, that's too, too, too much, too much. And then I was like, huh, when I, when I stopped doing it, because we started to get back into things here in North Queensland a bit earlier than you in Melbourne, yeah. I actually missed the chats with people mm. and where it took us because sometimes it can take us far and wide. And I really loved bringing that to everyone. And so I just went, you know what, let's just give this a go. Yeah. And so it's just all about also I did it selfishly because I love talking with people and I love learning. Mm. I really, hence, hence a lot of my, my out there questions at times. But I love meeting like-minded people because there needs to be more of that put out into the world to create the change mm. that we're all trying to do. And individually we can't create the change on our own Mm. um but if we can get together and inspire others to uh, to evoke an emotion or a feeling in someone then then quite possibly change happens yeah for that individual who's listening um so yeah i love i love the work that you're doing now i do actually have a question going back yeah to this is why it's called a wild chat because it goes anywhere (laughs) (laughs) originally right at the start you started talking about a lot of the uh, working within the sea life aquarium Mm. uh, with the endangered species so you're talking about your um the uh spear tooth shark oh yeah 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 and sawfish you know what i i have heard of it when i spoke to barbara about sawfish so on the podcast i had barbara who does a lot of the research with um the sort with sawfish and and sharks and everything mm. and she mentioned the spear tooth 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 shark yeah um and it's it's written on my piece of paper here because i'm really interested to know a little bit more and what what you guys are doing but what is it yeah and can can you explain absolutely it's my favorite species um at the melbourne aquarium because it's so rare so we got two females and one male Right now, we think that they're at the adolescent stage. So, unfortunately, no pups yet, although one is showing potential mating scars. But, yeah, so why I like him is because not many people know about them at all. Uh, we got three in captivity in Melbourne, only three in captivity ever. They're listed as data deficient on the IUCN red list, which is kind of scarier than one being listed than endangered because at least, you know, we know some things about an endangered species. And they're from your end of our country. So, is the Fitzroy River in Queensland? Um, I believe it's... Oh, God. It might be close to the top. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's uh, from the top end of Queensland, top end of Northern Territory. So, they inhabit rivers. Mm. That's why they're so bizarre as sharks goes. There's over 500 different species of shark in uh, in Australia. No, in the world. Yeah. Only three 
live in rivers. Um, two, yeah. two of them are in Australia, the Speartooth Shark and the Northern River Shark. Only other one is in India, and that's called the Ganges River Shark. Um so is this freshwater river yeah. or estuary river? Well, it's a freshwater. It leads to estuaries, but um, they're in a saltwater tank at work. So mm. they do look mm. structurally pretty similar to a bull shark. Um, right now, they're going to say bull sharks are found yeah. f- further into the estuaries. Yeah, but they're not true river sharks. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, they can cool. go and uh, back and forth from river to saltwater. However, a bull shark will spend most of its time in salt water and then occasionally go up a river, usually to have some pups. Yeah. Yeah. To do so, they need to be a little bit hungrier than usual because it takes a bit more energy to go back and forth so often. Mm. But yeah, the weird thing about the spear tooth is that it's the opposite. It spends most of its time in fresh water and then can occasionally go out to salt water. But as I said, it's got high tolerance, so it's in a salt water tank at work. Yeah, they are really cool. They're about a meter. I want to say over a meter and a half in length, and they are just so, so awesome to look at. Yeah, I'm just looking at it now. Yeah. It, it's oh, wow. So their name, the spear tooth, comes from their teeth. It looks like, you know, a long skinny stem and then a spearhead on top. Yes, it, the spearhead yeah. is what I'm looking at. For some reason, I was picturing something similar to a sawfish. Yeah, no, 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 no. It's, it's a very bulky shark. Yeah, yeah, very, yeah. very bulky. We're, but here's the crazy thing. We don't even know how big they're going to grow. You know, in a couple mm. of years, we might need to take everything else out of the tank. We're not sure. Um, hmm. we, we don't know how they breed or anything like that. So, setting up a breeding project is obviously a nightmare. Mm. Um, but, yeah, we've been studying it for, for a while. Uh, we got them as pups well before my time. And... Yeah, now we're thinking that they're at that adolescent stage, but they're incredible and animals. With data um, deficiency out there, everything that you guys see, notice, uh, you know, obviously it, it is it is captivity, so yeah. it's slightly different. But you've still you, you're still able to gather some data. Um, yeah, and yeah, wow, that's that's crazy. So um, I, I do remember Barbara mentioned it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but I didn't look it up. We we worked with the. Uh, I'm guessing she's a part of. Was she in, based in Northern Territory? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I'm guessing she works for the um, Northern Territory Shark and Ray Association. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. And and she's based in Cairns, so she does the sharks and rays. She's the founder. Okay. Barbara is the founder. Oh of, wow. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. She's, it was an amazing chat. Uh, highly recommend if you're going to do podcasting, get her on. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll have a listen to that chat first. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it's it's really interesting how much um, we still have absolutely, we, we know hardly anything about so many different species, but definitely the, the water side of things, um, estuaries and rivers and, and so forth. But obviously when you've got big, um, predators like saltwater crocodiles, estuarine crocodiles yeah. living in there, it's a, it's a bit hard to do a lot of research. Yeah, a um, bit of an safely. OHS issue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> safely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really cool. I like that. And you guys, because um, up here in the Cairns Aquarium, we had the um, sawfish. Mm. The um, Are they large tooth? Freshwater. Uh, it was a large tooth. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, but they, and this is what we spoke about on the podcast, is um, they actually got re-released back back up into the Northern Territory. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yep, yep. So that was revealed on the podcast because they suddenly disappeared from the aquarium and then Barbara gave me permission to actually publish it. So they got um, re-released that's up awesome. there. Um, so the data and the information was collected from them being in mm. captivity um, that they needed, and then once they got to yeah that that large size, they we yeah. um, they they got permission to re-release it. Yeah, well, obviously it was a process. Can't just quickly just go and plonk it in for anyone uh, listening. No, of course, of course, <laughs> there is a process involved in obviously re-release back in. No, the we world. just picked so them up was and put them over there. there. <laughs> <laughs> Off you go now, <laughs> yeah. No, that's cool, cool, cool. Well, I'm very excited to see where things take you. What's your What's your big goal? I mean, at the moment, you said you've been at the Sea Life Aquarium for two years. Mm-hmm. Oh, what do you do there, by the way? What's your major role? Yeah, so I've jumped around quite a bit because of COVID, but essentially, I'm a wildlife demonstrator for excursions yeah. or incursions. Yeah, um, cool. And yeah, I'm a head tour guide there. So there's a awesome penguin tour that I spearhead. Uh, take him into the enclosure to check mm-hmm. out some king and gentoo penguins. And uh, oh, wow. there's also another tour where we kind of go back of house, go over the big oceanarium tank and uh, feed some beautiful smooth stingrays, yeah. uh, which are massive. So, um, yeah, that's technically my role there. I make a little bit of content for them on the side as well from time to time. But, yeah, pretty much I'm a I'm a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, teacher, educator, demonstrator, whatever. That's it. We're all good. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so for you to be able to have to, you would have to know a lot to be able to be that head tour guide and back of house and front of house. And, um, yeah, it was pretty intimidating. You probably wouldn't have learnt, learnt all that at uni, so you would learn it on the job. Yeah, I think I did one marine bio subject at uni. Um, which was fun. You know, it was good. It was a lot of water chemistry, to be honest. Look, I I knew a fair bit about sharks going in, so I was pretty confident in that regard. I thought most of the questions I'll be asked, if I'm asked, would be about sharks. Uh, And I was right. So, uh, I stemmed from there and then, yeah, over the next couple months of starting working there, you know, learned more about seahorses and learned a few things about stingrays and they're not that far related from sharks and... um, you know, some telios fish like gropers, um, mm. coral. Coral's a tricky one. Um, oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, and then when the new jelly exhibit came to Melbourne, I needed to do a lot of research on jelly so I wasn't telling porkies or anything like that. Uh, so, it's you know, it's given me um, a really solid chance to broaden my horizon to everything aquatic. Um, Absolutely. And we got a beautiful big salty down there as well. He came from mm. Rockhampton, close to you guys. So, Croc's got to be one of my all-time favorite animals and he's a big, beautiful boy. He's five meters long, 750 kilos. Yeah, huge monster. Um, He's there by himself. It's his retirement home. He's done his his work at Rockhampton and, yeah, he's really handsome, really handsome boy. Yeah, and again, that's another species that is just constantly more and more information, new information is coming out about. Absolutely. crocodiles and 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 estuarine crocodiles in in you know especially here in australia you know obviously starting off with bob Irwin and yeah then steve um 
and and then everyone else. I mean, it's not just it wasn't just the Irwins, but it, it's it's other people that then get involved in in their own individual research mm. or research continuing on from the Irwins. But yeah, I think they definitely um, spearheaded it for sure. Have you read Bob Irwin's book? No, not yet. Not yet. Oh, highly recommend. It's amazing. Yeah. You would any wildlife person has either read it once or twice. Amazing. My girlfriend's got it on so, her bookshelf, so I might need to steal it. Um, grab it. Yeah. Grab it. <laughs> great, great book. Um, yeah, that'll give you an idea of how a lot of the research started with um, with Bob, yeah. Bob Irwin, and then bringing Steve along, um, but also how Australia Zoo was was built. Mm. Um, and and then the research and how all the research started. Yeah. It, it, it's mind-blowing, actually. Not, not many <laughs> people know this, but uh, Steve Owen actually grew up just a suburb next to me uh, ah. in Ascot Vale. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I definitely got well, to read Bob it then. Bob talks about That's it. Oh, yeah? Bob, he talks, about, he talks about his life down there and what he did and yeah. where he lived and um, yeah, uh, with with the kids young down there, mm. and then moving up into Queensland. So definitely grab the books. It's really really it's on good. the list for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. So so what's next for you? What thinking of five ten years time? I mean, things change a lot, obviously. But what what what's your ultimate goal? Yeah, what, um, I you're young. <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah, COVID uh, definitely put a spanner in my works. Um, Look, for a long time, my goal was to go to Africa. Um, mm. Promised a lot of family members I'd go, and I ended up going, which I was very happy with. I went to South Africa March last year. Um, oh, just in time! Yeah, well, I was, I was supposed to spend you know better part of three months over there. Got called back wow. after two, three weeks, um, oh. which sucks. Yeah, but yeah. I still had a great chance to work with. A lot of big animals uh, looking after lions that were, you know, more or less abused in some way. Uh, Mm. So, looking after them was really, really cool. Looking after elephants with the the rangers, um, you know, rhinos, leopards, cheetahs. We rewilded cheetahs while we were over there at a fantastic organization called Running Wild. So, took them on cheetah hunts because they learned that behavior off their mother. So, and they don't have their mother anymore and they're in captivity. So, this place had a fantastic 11, 12 sort of step criteria to fill out before they could reintroduce them mm. into some protected area. One of them was they needed to demonstrate really good hunting capabilities. So, they learned that behavior off their mum traditionally. Things like staying away from giraffes that could kill a cheetah in one shot or stay away from rhinos. Mm. So... You know, we go out with a cheetah on a harness, deter them from a giraffe, which is easier said than done, (laughs) (laughs) and then sort of setting their sights on something more accessible to take down, like a, you know, a a blessed bok or a kudu or something like that. And then you let them off the harness, they go, and then you need to get them, which again, easier said than done. Um, (laughs) Need to fire up a drone to see where they are because. Yeah, it's wow. your heart gets pumping when that happens. Uh, <laughs> but I need to yeah. get back. That's definitely on my, uh, you know, on my near future goals. Is that is that what you see yourself um, more with the the largest sort of predatory animals in Africa working? Like, is that your goal, or do you want to? Um, are you thinking Australia still with or 
know. Yeah. Look, growing up, I was like, Africa's got everything. They got everything that I want to to I go and work too. with. And then, yeah, maturing up, you know, as a teenager to young adult, I was like, we got some really cool stuff here. Um, yeah. Wedge-tailed eagles, probably one of my favorite animals in the world. You know, what other bird can ah. take down a, a person that's parachuting? Uh, wow. <laughs> they're insane. So, it's like, you know, that's Australia. That's what I like. Um, wow. Australian animals, yeah, always going to be here for sure. I won't live overseas yeah. or anything like that because it's too hard to leave. Um, but I definitely <laughs> like to work with all these top predators, whether it's a, you know, a polar bear in the Arctic or, you know, an orchid down south. Doesn't matter to me as long as I get the chance to work with all those cool, cool yep. predators. I'll be happy. Yep. Yeah, doesn't matter Amazing. if I make a dollar or you know a million dollars. Doesn't matter to me. Ah, uh, yeah. You work with wildlife. There's no money in that, my friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's all done with. Um, I believe everyone who is in wildlife for especially long term mm. it is very difficult at times the world should know and probably anyone who's listening in wildlife knows that it's very hard to pay our bills yeah. on a wildlife keeper's wage so you either have to have a partner who has a different job or you have a second job where you because you're so passionate and so inspired yourself mm. Um, and and therefore you feel that you have an obligation to share that knowledge and to share that um, that that passion to then inspire others yeah. to be able to create the change because most of us we're not you know us as wildlife people we're we're weird we're, yeah traditionally <laughs> for fun yeah. we for fun we go out looking for wildlife or we go out looking for yeah flipping over rocks we go out yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, that's a good stick. Yeah. And people look at you and go, what? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, or you're looking at certain trees and you're like, oh, I wonder what's happened yeah. here and then this and then that. How old's that tree? Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. Um, so I, I, I think I love meeting um, like minded wildlife people because so we can talk our weird stuff. But yes, Australia has a lot to offer and it all comes down to uh, like what you're doing. Yeah. Wildlife demonstrations education doing your thing that's it that's it. it it is hard you know especially to you know find the job number one and like i can talk because i was very fortunate with timing yeah, right. but yeah supply and demand i know a lot of people that studied the same thing that i did mm-hmm. and uh just didn't get there and then they fell into another job to help sustain themselves mm. while they wait but then they you know they prosper in that other job so it is a tricky industry, um, but look, if you're determined enough and you're passionate enough, you'll get there no matter what. So, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and you're doing amazing work. So, yeah, I, I think um, definitely watch this space for you. I'll be keeping a keen eye and see what you're up to, and and cheering you on from the sidelines. So, I hope, thank, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, hopefully, I can reveal more later on. But, yeah, got a lot of cool collaborations coming up as well that I'm very, very excited for. Um, So good. So good. And that's it. When when you want to do what you want to do, you'll create the opportunity. That's it. And that's what you're doing. Opportunities are just a, what's it, a mix of dedication and timing. So, yeah, if if you're passionate about anything, go for it and uh, it'll work out. It'll work out. COVID or not, it'll work out. That's it. 
That's it. Yeah. It's taught us how to be resilient. It's taught us how to Adapt. bend sideways, backwards, yeah. upside down, <laughs> everything else. That's it. Yeah, and if anyone's listening who is overseas, then hope all is well yeah. at this present moment. What is the date? Uh, it's the 14th of July we're filming this, so this will actually be uh, next week. But for anyone who's listening, I hope all's well. And, um, Alex, I'll put all of your details in um, – the podcast notes so people can find your Instagram page oh, awesome. and go from there so they can click straight to it. But otherwise, um, yeah, good luck or all, all the best and and I'll be cheering you on from the sidelines and so will Australia's wildlife and um, everything else. That's very and, kind. Thank and you. You're welcome. It was great chatting to you and, um, yeah, we'll get you on another time, one, one other time to see where you're up to maybe in a year's time. Oh, hey? for sure, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Very kind. All right. Well, we'll talk to you soon. You take care. You too. See you, Jodie.